Jordan made the mistake of sitting close to me, so I'm going to ask her to pray for us as we get started. <laughs> Dear God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you that we all braved the snow and got together and to be here as a family. Lord, bless this time. Bless Dean's words and help us have a great conversation today. We love you, Lord. Amen. I don't is it just me or is there an energy that happens when we've got we've got snow days, we've been off, then we get to see each other. I'm married to a teacher. There's always a little more energy in the house when you have a week full of snow days, right? So it's, it's a beautiful thing. Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, all right, to go from the happiness of snow days, I just looked at like where I'm starting, and I'm like, how did I start here? But all right, I'm just, just telling you. A lot of times you'll get, as we ease into our lessons, the, uh, the, the most recent things on my mind. For the last, I think it's two weeks or so, the History Channel has been doing a bunch of these different kind of looks at North Korea, of all things. I don't know why, well I do know why, I, I read a David Baldacci book, I'm telling you too much, um, where North Korea was kind of the background, and I'm like, I knew, you know, part of the bad story of it and all that. There are things I did not know, so then when the series came on, we taped a bunch of them, so I, I got North Korea on the brain. That's a horrible way to start, isn't it? Um, but, but one of the things that, that stuck out to me, if you know anything about this, um, uh, this, this horrible regime, uh, for the last 75 years it's been led by the Kim family, right? Led, has been ruled, dominated, all of that. Uh, if you go, you, you, you can't get in, but they'll let in, you know, very, very controlled, uh, in recent years, very controlled kind of press or whatever to kind of look at what they want you to see. But if you kind of walk down the street in Pyongyang or wherever else in North Korea, you will not see, some of this is not all bad, you will not see Coke advertisements and Nike and all that. You won't see any of that. There's virtually no advertisements except, does anybody know what the except is? Pretty significant advertisement, so to speak. Does anybody know what, what you'll find everywhere? You can scream it loud. No, not McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. You would think. No, no, it's their own propaganda. That's the only thing that you will see there is, is official state propaganda. They're people whose job it is to paint these paintings and to do these things um, of, of the ruling family. So it, the, the whole point is to tell the story of their isolation and the kind of, frankly, the, the myths of their, uh, their background of that. Um, and so I want you to think about... What If you were going to tell the story of a leader or something like that, what would be the central symbol or symbols that would be out there all the time? I know in North Korea, just from looking at it, virtually all of the symbols have to do with their, their pictures, their faces, smiling in some way, and there's a gun or a bomb in it. It is, it is a picture of a symbol of military might protecting this small place over against the evil folks, and you're part of the evil, by the way, um, over against the evil of Japan and America and other places coming and attacking. The, the symbol is a gun or a nuclear bomb. That's, that's in almost every picture of propaganda. And I, and I shift from that to think about our leader and our king, Jesus. What are the central symbols that we have. And, and Jesus is a painter, right? Jesus is one who inspired people to paint pictures in Scripture for us of what the symbols would be that define us as a people led by our leader. 
And there's lots of them. We can look in the back of the room. There's the opposite of a gun or a bomb. Jesus gives us the symbol of the cross where he literally took on the nuclear bomb, so to speak, of their day. We could talk about all those, but that's not the one I want to go to. I I want to go to this one, and I wish I remember uh, where I heard this quote. But you know when you hear something that sticks with you and you carry it with you forever, and it was one of these quotes, I don't remember who gave it. Uh, But someone very wise said, when Jesus called his disciples to remember him, you know the moment, right? When Jesus called his disciples to remember him, he did not give them a sermon, he gave them a meal. Isn't that great? When Jesus called his followers to remember him, he did not give them a sermon or a book or a lesson, he gave them a meal and said, you will remember me with this symbol. So if we're walking around in in the realm known as the kingdom of God, the images you will see everywhere, especially, I'll just borrow David's phrase that you know David likes to say, especially if we step into the world envisioned by Luke's gospel, what you will see in all of the signs almost, somewhere in there is a table. Jesus says, if you want to know who I am and what my leadership represents and what the community who follows me looks like, you got to sit down, not in a pew, but at a table. And so I want to look at that. I want to go to the passage that, that we hear all the time. Again, I invite you to think about it as we are stepping into the artist's rendition, an inspired rendition that says, this is what it looks like to live under this leadership, right? So if you have your Bibles or devices, go to Luke 22, and, uh, and we're going to look at that uh, passage that is the institution of the uh, Lord's Supper, as we call it. I didn't mark my text. I'll actually have to flip to it. Forgive me. Luke 22, we'll start in verse 14. Uh, and, and again, I've, I've got a couple of observations that I have here, but as always, uh, we have mics on either side of the room. Uh, just raise your hand, we'll bring a mic to you, or um, start talking and I'll catch us up to speed. If it's a quick comment, I'll just say it. Uh, if you want to share more, we'll bring a mic to you. Luke 22, verse 14. Still on the wrong page. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it, drink from the fruit of a vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The hand of him is going to betray me is with mine on the table. Son of man, Jesus' favorite description of himself, son of man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. And they began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. And a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Just think about what's going on when he is instituting this meal that we've now participated in for 2,000 years. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, 
And those who exercise authority of them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, I'm going to read it one more time. Part of it is very, very familiar to us. We think about it all the time, but I'm also including the conversation at the table. And so, again, I'm asking you this. Jesus is giving us this meal as a way of saying, this is who I am. What do we learn about Jesus and God from this table and this meal? Anything at all that you see. Let me read it one more time. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat again, eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. And they began to question among themselves which of them it might be that would do this. And a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. And Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. What do you notice here? What do we learn about God from this particular table moment? Sorry, oh, he's coming. He's sociable, I love that. Yes. Uh, seriously, they're, they're, one of my favorite lines in this text is he said, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal with you. Right? We understand that Jesus as Messiah has an agenda, a God agenda in his mind. There's certain things he's got to do. Cleansing the temple wasn't, by the way, an angry outburst. We make that, it's okay to be mad, fine. But that, that was a very calculated living parable that Jesus did on the way in. Because there are all sorts of predictions about God cleaning a house at the temple, and then God himself will come in and make the temple what it's supposed to be. Jesus had an agenda of things he was going to do. He could have said, okay, I'm just going to check things off the list. Okay, one of them is a you know, institute and kind of transform what the Passover is. No, he said, I want to be here with you. Isn't that awesome? I want to be here with my crazy disciples. I love that. 
Every week when we have this moment, again, we can make it just a checklist. This is the thing to make sure we're the right church and we're doing the right thing on a Sunday morning, on the right day and all that. Or we can imagine that as we are communing with the resurrected Lord, he wants to be with you. It's powerful, isn't it? Thank you. Thank you. What else do you notice? What do we learn about God? He said, remember me by a meal. Yeah, He is a servant and he waits on us, right? Right? Jesus flips it. Luke is big on this. Scholars will talk about the theological reversal that happens. Jesus flips things upside down. He said normally the, the most important person at a meal is the one that's sitting down and people are bringing stuff to him. Jesus says, not, I, I, I'm, I'm the one that's putting the towel around my waist and I'm coming to serve you. More on that in, in a moment, right? Because we're going to look at other instances of, of Jesus' images of meals. Other things that you learn about. God says, remember me, learn from me in this experience. What else do you see here? Servant lines, it's uh, the humility Humility of Jesus, yeah, yep. And thank you for doing that. Again, we've got folks that are streaming, so it's helpful for them to hear. Um, When he says, I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom, I don't understand that completely, but I noticed it. So maybe you could tell me what it means. Right? I if confer you know. on you. Yeah. Or what someone else? Yep. Thoughts on that? Jesus says, I'm conferring on you a kingdom. All right. I mean, feel free to jump in here. I just, first reaction to this Jesus says, I'm not just coming to set up a religion, I'm setting up this community of the people of God that are centered around, again, um, I love the way David talked about this today. Sometimes we, the language, you know, I love that line. You talk funny, right? Luke, you talk funny. So I confer, we don't talk about this anymore. We don't use this language. Even in England, even the way they got queens and kings to be and all that, the, the kingship and, and, and the royalty doesn't mean what it used to mean. In their day and age, this imagery worked. Sometimes I get all like lost in this. Take a step back. What does a kingdom mean? When we talk about the kingdom of God, what does kingdom mean? A kingdom is, is simply this. This sounds ridiculous, but think about it. A kingdom is simply a place where a king is kinging. <laughs> That's where a king, you don't have a kingdom without a king doing king things, right? If someone's deposed, they're not a king. It's not a kingdom anymore. It's been overthrown. Kingdom is a place, a place, a realm where the king is kinging. As Jesus says, I've come, repent. Why? Turn around. Why? The kingdom of God is here. God is coming to king in his world again. And he says, Again, we could get all lost in theology here. I just want to paint some pictures here, and then we'll step into this particular part of it. Um, great debate in Christian history has always been, when is the kingdom of God come? He says, I'm not going to eat this again until the kingdom comes, right? When is the kingdom? Is the kingdom now or later? By the way, anybody would take what? We have, we have a vote for now. Anybody want to say the kingdom is later? What, what does this mean? <laughs> Both, Yes. You know, you know I love to ask this. Is it, is it this or this? And the answer is yes. 
The beautiful picture of theology a while back, folks said, what time do we live in in Christianity right now? We live in already and not yet. Both of those are true. Is the kingdom come? Yes. Kingdom has come because king is king. God has kinged in Jesus. He has come, revealed himself as the king. By the way, it's more than a metaphor that they put a crown of thorns on him on the cross and God had Pilate write, this is the king of the Jews. It was right. It's beautiful irony, go, by the way. Go read the crucifixion story in Luke and you find everything that the people mocking Jesus says is absolutely true. They just didn't know what they were saying. Right? So the king is kinging. One second, Mike. Uh, the king is kinging. So here's the picture, the announcement, the king is going to be kinging in Jesus and in his followers. So what is Jesus saying? I'm conferring on you a kingdom. You get to be the community and the place in which God kings. Isn't that a more powerful picture, by the way, of what the church is intended to be than a little place where we check the box and we get everything right and we go tell everybody else they're wrong? No. This is a place where, and you know one of my favorite words, because we don't get it right all the time, but what are we doing here? We are practicing letting God king in this place. And boy, do we screw it up sometimes? Yes. Do we mess it up sometimes? Yes. And that's why we keep coming back to the king to say, can you realign us? Isn't it wonderful that throughout the gospels, the followers of Jesus screw it up a hundred times and then he gently brings them back or sometimes not so gently brings them back. So that's a big picture and a long-winded thing, but the kingdom of God is a powerful image in scripture. Yeah, Michael? The kingdom of God is, is, is timeless, and it's hard to get our hands around e Eat the mic, by the way, when you talk. Oh, can you hear me now? Yep. Yeah, the, the kingdom of God is, is timeless, and we can't get our hands around it. And it seems like every time that I read anything about the communion, even the one in, in, in Corinthians, um, it always ended with, with that... Um, do this until I come again. It had an eschatological sense to it. The second coming was important and all yes, that. Yes, 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 yes. And it just feels so timeless and um, continuous, you know, for beyond, you know, our imagination. Yes. Thank so thanks, brother. Beautiful, beautiful. By the way, fancy word alert. We'll talk about You gave one of my favorite words. I love eschatology, eschatological. It just sounds cool, doesn't it? You remember when we were, I taught, I taught Christine eschatology when she was like two or three, just because I'm a geek. It was fun. All right, all that word, fancy word, just means end times. It's when, when God brings the end of time into the middle of time. The eschatology is about how do we live today in light of the fact that God has already brought the end of the world into the middle of the story. Isn't that cool? The resurrection is the end of the story. We've seen the ending. This is, that, that's why Paul will use language of first fruits. Right? The beginning of the end happened in Jesus, and Jesus is this. This is the gospel we preach. God is not finished until the entire world experiences what Jesus' body experienced on Easter. He's resurrecting, renewing, and restoring all things. Isn't that great? And what we get to be an experience that we, we um, what's the word for it? We symbolize, but in the richest sense of that word, when we take the communion meal together is that we are already participating in God's end of the world. Tell us of the world, the goal of the world, where it's headed with all things. He's restoring and renewing all things. Thank you for that. In fact, that's, I, I want to drop in um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer on this, okay? So if you're just joining us, the way we're doing this study is we're asking questions, looking at the text, and then we're reading side by side with it. 
not literally, because you don't have to read it, I'm just bringing stuff in from Dietrich Bonhoeffer from his book, Life Together. I love the way he laid this out. So in his book, he said, talking about the significance of the table, by the way, very, very quick background. We're in the place in the book called The Day with Others. What does it look like to structure your day, to rhythm your day with the people of God? And we've talked about in the morning, you wake up with, with God on your heart and you turn to God. Your first sentence, Bonhoeffer will say, is directed to God. And early on in the morning, you turn a prayer not just to God for you, but for the sake of the others. So that, we've talked about that before. Scripture has shaped our story. We talked about that last week. Um, and he says part of the rhythm of the life of the people of God is table fellowship. And I love the way he said it. With Jesus, there are three kinds of table fellowship that Jesus invites his followers to have with him. Three kinds, all right? And, and you pointed to the third one that we often miss, but I think it's really important. All right, so the first kind of table fellowship is what he says everyday regular meals. Like Jesus hung out. He wasn't like floating down from heaven and just kind of popped in the room and then left. He ate with him. In fact, even in his resurrected body, Luke makes a big deal out of the fact that he sat down and he ate fish and he touched, they touched him like it's a real body eating everyday meals with people. By the way, that wasn't just something he did back then. Just if we took this one thought and lived into it, how would it change our day? If you recognize that every meal you and I eat, with, eat we eat with Jesus. Every meal, he's present at that meal. So on Sunday afternoon, when you go and you talk about the latest Netflix you're doing, or as the old preacher would say, when you have roasted preacher for lunch, right? whatever you do on Sunday afternoon meal, Jesus is there with you at that meal. It's not a guilt trip thing. It's a glorious thing. Jesus is present in everyday meals. And you see them again. Go just look at Luke's gospel. All the time, he's eating with people. <laughs> he's eating with crazy people. He's eating with tax collectors and sinner people. But often, I forget to mention this, he also ate with the pharisaical, hard-headed religious people, too. He ate at Simon's house also, yes. Before I get that, I'll keep going on that. But jump I just thought it was interesting this week with uh, Prince Harry and wanting to be one foot in and one foot out of right. the kingdom. Now, yeah. there's some interesting points there. Number one, you're in the kingdom until you voluntarily remove yourself from the yes, kingdom. Yes. So when somebody says, am I saved sometimes or you know, that sort of thing? No, you're in the kingdom until you voluntarily get out. Oh, I love but that. when you start moving out, the queen or the king says, we don't have one foot in and one foot out. <laughs> That's, right. That's not how it works. He says, well, let me keep my patronages. And I had to look that word up because I really wasn't sure what they meant. Let me keep my titles that you've mm. given me. And a patronage is a, a blessing that you're giving huh. from the monarch. Right. And so he gets to enjoy these blessings. And uh, they say, no, you, no one foot in, one foot out. That's gonna interesting. Be one foot out. That's going to be taken back from you. That blessing is going to be withdrawn. And, uh, and the other point that the queen made was, being a royal is a life of service mm, mm -hmm. and that really apparently hit a nerve with the prince and he came out with this other reply that says well you can be a live a life of service outside the kingdom that's true yeah yeah and yes you can but not with all the patronage <laughs> apparently right? yeah you you just I, I thought there i thought saw a lot of parallel yeah. with that and, and how what being a member of a kingdom or being a member of the royal family is and what it means. Beautiful. 
Thank you for that. And, and again, the part of the point of the, thank you for bringing that up because Jesus is painting pictures with metaphors here. The kingdom of God is that. And so as much as we can kind of dialogue with what, what is he intending with that picture and what is he not? Yeah, David over here. Sorry, Keith, we're making you run a lot. We're, we're just going give to the, give the Reeves a mic next time. That, that <laughs> you're on that side of the room. I just I'm, I appreciated the, the reference to the, uh, you know, the British royal household. I was having this thought in my mind of um, images of like medieval times, like any movie you ever watch where it's, you know, the, the medieval castles and the king or the noble of that area. Uh, I had this image in my mind of the table that's always... Yes, yes. Present in so many scenes where right. all the nobility, they come to the king and they sit around the table and they have this reveling feast. It's yes. oftentimes after the great battle or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I kept thinking, and this image in my mind is of the fact that nobody outside the castle gets to come sit around that table. Right, right. But the image that's here in Luke 22 is the invitation, and I think yes. that's part of that invitation to be that kingdom where Becky was asking about. Everybody is invited around Everybody that table. The there is yes. no peasant, no peon, no, yep. you know, however we define or describe. Yes. In God's kingdom, everybody gets the patronage. Everybody is invited oh, that's so to sit around that table. And if that brokenness is there in our world where the kingdom that we are saying we are a part of, mm -hmm doesn't include everybody yeah. and doesn't include an invitation to have the brokenness done away with and to sit down around that table. Yes. I love the other instances of this story where Jesus picks up the basin and the towel yep, yep. and does the washing of the feet. That's yep. a real, there's a lot of symbolism in that no of, he, of healing and cleaning. Um, I just had those images come into my mind of that so the purpose good. of that table. It's yes, there's to be a party, but everyone's invited, not just the people mm. of nobility or whoever. Yes. Um, so. so just like I, I make sports analogies every now and then, I have to throw in a Downton Abbey reference for my wife. So this is uh, what you're saying, absolutely right. There is no downstairs and upstairs at Jesus' table, right? Everybody gets into the, to the banquet feast table, right? Beautifully said. I love it. In fact, I love what you're saying, Dave, because um, isn't that exactly what Paul said when he rebuked the Corinthian church for the way they were conducting the Lord's Supper? He said, don't call it Jesus' table if the poor don't get to eat and you are feasting and getting drunk before they even show up, right? Which leads to the second one, right? So what are the three, three ways that Jesus invites us to the table? One is everyday meals. Secondly, we all know what it is, right? What is it? Communion, Lord's Supper, Eucharist, whatever your tradition has called it. Don't be scared by the word Eucharist. It's just the Greek word. The Greek word we just read, which is he blessed it. It's a word for blessing or prayer of blessing. Um, so all of those words we use. So there is something about this sacred moment, the sacrament of communion or Eucharist or Lord's Supper, where Jesus is uniquely present. And this is the place where we know, and it's in all the Gospels here, where he institutes that meal, Right? Uh, by the way, there is, a, there is a connecting point between the everyday meal and, in fact, all three, that we'll get to the third one, all three are connected, but the everyday meal fits into the Eucharistic meal or the communion meal as well. Um, uh, just hold that in your mind. I want to I get back to that. 
Uh, I don't want to get there too fast, but keep this in mind. All right, everyday meal, Eucharistic meal, where Jesus is present in a powerful way. And the third one that we often don't talk about, but I think is incredibly significant, and Michael brought us there. There is a future meal that we're looking forward to, right? And it's called by different things, but most often we, we see it through the imagery in Luke's gospel. Uh, it is often called the banquet feast in the kingdom of God, right? So you have the everyday meal, we have the Eucharistic meal, the communion meal, where we gather regularly and do it. But all of that is just appetizer, if I may use that image. It's foreshadowing for the ultimate meal, the banquet feast, together in the kingdom of God. Now, what, what do we mean by that? He refers to it here. He alludes to it here. He says, I've eagerly desired to eat this meal with you, but I won't eat it again until it's fully fulfilled in the coming of the kingdom of God. Now, that isn't just church. It's not just resurrection, but he's coming back. Jesus will point to an image of what it looks like when God fixes all of this mess and Jesus comes back. And one of the pictures, I love this, the picture we get in verb scripture, by the way, is never floating away on harps and wings. Somehow we took Greek philosophy and misread a couple scriptures and we act like heaven, a good image of heaven, is floating away someday to an eternal worship service where we're floating on harps and living on clouds. Not in scripture. <laughs> They're all metaphors anyway, but here, what is the metaphor Jesus gives? This is cr incredibly important. I encourage you to to mark this in your Bibles if, if, uh, if you're so inclined. Luke chapter 12, verse 37. He said, It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly I tell you, this is Jesus' picture of what's going to happen when the Son of Man comes back, when Jesus comes back, what we call the second coming. Truly I tell you, he, Jesus, will dress himself, Jacques, to serve, will have them reclined at the table and will come and wait on them. Let me read that again, Luke 12, 37. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching, eagerly expecting when he comes. Truly, I tell you, Jesus will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. Is that not an astounding image? What does Jesus say there? about his second coming, what's going to happen. What, you get this picture? All right, I, I remember years ago, and I'm sure I, I may have shared this before, but I remember early on when we were dating, um, uh, we, have, we have now three generations of wait staff in our family, right? So Melanie's mother was a waitress for, for much of her life. Melanie worked her way through high school and beginning of college doing that. Now our son's doing that at the fancy hotel down here in, in Franklin. Here's the picture I used to have of God. So, so Jesus, royal throne, he's up on the throne, he's doing God cool, powerful things, you know. But then he comes and slums it for a little while as he, as he becomes a human being, right? Then he ascends back up to the throne and he's going to be throning things and all that stuff. Is that true in a sense? Yes. But what, what does Jesus say he will be doing when he brings everybody to be with him again one day, new heavens and new earth. What is, does he say he's going to be standing up on the throne, throwing out, barking out commands? What is the image here? Anybody, shout it out. What's he going to be doing when he comes back? He is serving still. He's sitting us at the table, and he will serve again. It wasn't just a cool little metaphor in the book of John when he put the towel around his waist. Hear me. Why does he say... If you're going to remember me, do it at a meal, and not just any meal, do it at Jesus' meals. Because every meal Jesus ever did, he was in charge, yes, and 
he was serving. What Jesus says is, is servant isn't a role that I played for a little while. This isn't, great image for it, undercover boss, right? Where they dress, up, dress down and slum it for a little while, but at the end they're all snazzy and they're in the CEO room and you come in and they cry because you throw them a couple bones. That is not what Jesus is doing. Jesus says, I've always been a servant. Think all the way back before he even created us. How how does that work? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Living in self-giving love. They've always been serving. And we get invited into that. And what the Church of Jesus Christ is supposed to look like is that kind of table. Does that make sense? Three kinds of table fellowship. Isn't it beautiful? There is the everyday meal. There is the Eucharistic meal where we symbolize, where we practice together. This meal is supposed to affect every other meal (laughs) and anticipate the final meal where everybody, there is no downstairs, upstairs, everybody sits at the table and the one who is in charge is also one who is serving. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that powerful? Now, here's a picture of this. And again, I'm sure I probably referenced this before. Taught by my friend Robert Benson, I talk about a lot, who, who taught me ways of praying a phenomenal author, but he wrote a book about what we can learn from the Eucharist and communion and Jesus' tables. Now, I want to go back. This is what I meant by the meals are all connected. Um, I'm sure I've said this before. I'll say it again. Do you know there's only one miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels other than the resurrection? Anybody know what it is? Fits our theme, by the way. One miracle, all four Gospels, only one other than the resurrection. It involves a meal. Anybody guess what it is? I'm mumbling. You're right, so to say it. What? Feeding, feeding the 5,000. Feeding the 5,000. Only miracle recorded in all four God. Why is that so important? Here's what it says. When Jesus spread all the people out there, you know, they, they come and they're, they're hungry. Jesus preached too long, just like, you know, we, we are here. And he's hungry and they're all hungry. Jesus spreads them out on the ground. And do you know what it says? I quote in Luke. Luke 9. Do you know what it says? When he took the loaves, you know what he did? He took it. He blessed it. He broke it. And he gave it to them. Let me say that again. He took the bread. He blessed it. He Eucharisted it. It's the word. He blessed it. He broke it. And he gave it. Where have we heard those words before? What, Josh? Where have we heard it? At the establishment of the Lord's Supper. They're not disconnected. Jesus says the meal that we sacredly practice every week, don't put it all high in mind. Yes, it is a sacred moment. It is a type, time and place where God has promised to show up. And yet, it's God doing what God always did at tables. Now, here's the thing that Robert Benson gave as gift, and I gave it to you. Why do we do this every week? It's not so that we can check off the list we're the right church, because we do communion more often than some other churches do. Come on, stop it. Hear me, it is a practice. Why do we do practices? We practice, why do you practice music, right? So that when you're up here, you're not thinking about scales, you are playing it with your entire being, right? Why do we practice, listen to me, blessing, breaking, and giving. Blessing and breaking and giving. What are we blessing, breaking, and giving, by the way? The body of Christ. Oh, do you get it? Isn't this powerful? 
Maybe we do this meal every week with that body of Christ so that every day we do that meal with this body of Christ. Isn't that awesome? Jesus says the point of it all is to be blessed, broken, and given for the sake of the world. Wow! Isn't that awesome? And we do that until it finds fulfillment in the fullness of the kingdom of God when we find ourselves in this community of mutually broken people who have also been blessed and fight. How do we fight? Not over who's the greatest. Isn't it the irony of ironies what they were talking about the last supper? We fight over who gets to serve. Isn't that awesome? Our meal has always been intended to define us, and I thank God for churches of Christ who say doing Eucharist and communion the Lord's Supper is really important, and sometimes we fly through it and don't think about it, and we don't say, hold on, how is this meal affecting the way we live in every other meal that will sit at the table this week? So here's the thing, when, when I was reading this chapter that hit me, if it is possible for Jesus to say, if you want to know who I am, sit down and watch me at a table. Apparently, tables are demonstrative. Our tables say something about the people who are sitting at it. So here's the thing. This is not just for here, but I encourage you to think about it and pray about it and let the Holy Spirit apply this lesson. What do our tables say about us? Don't say anything right now. This is a for the rest of the week kind of thing. But I encourage, and I need to ask this of myself, and I will be vulnerable with you. The first thing, if I'm honest, that my tables say about me is that I'm selfish. I'm not beating myself up because God loves me and he's transforming me. My first thing I do at a meal is make sure I get taken care of. And I'm, I'm sorry. Because that woman is everything the opposite of that. But I'm just being honest with you. The first thing I do at a meal is, what do I want? And I'll go to, I'll go to the restaurant here, and I'll go alone. I've got to make sure that it's comfortable for me, and i got my book, and I'm ready, and half the time I get stood up, I, I'm supposed to beat me, that's okay, because i got my book, and I'm, I'm comfortable, I'm ready. I'm not beating myself up, I'm just telling you. That's not the only thing. My tables will say that anybody gets to sit there. Anybody gets to sit at my table. I hope, I hope, I'm at least moving towards that, so it's not all bad. But what do our tables say about us? Wouldn't that be a great study? Jesus says, let this meal that we just took inform all the other meals. What does it say about us? I said this before, but I say it again. It's so important. With three generations of waitstaff, I can never forget this. You know, don't you, the one time of the week that waiters and waitresses do not want to work. Does anybody know what it is? Not just, it is Sunday, but not just any time on Sunday. Sunday when? Sunday at lunch. Sunday afternoon. It is demonstrated, it is proven, it is lore among the weight community. And that is horrendous about what it says. That we are the gripiest, not you. And again, I've been at meals with most of you guys. But church folk tend to be the gripiest and the stingiest people. And nobody wants to work there. 
Do you hear what I'm saying? Like, this is real. Jesus says table is incredibly significant because it says something about the ones who sit there. So that's just an example. I gave you an example from my own life and corporately in the community. But what, what if we just let that one message Jesus gives us, like, propel us into the week? Can our tables define us in a different way? All right? Dean? Yes. I have, a quick, I have something to say about... Again, eat the mic. The Middle Eastern culture what we're learning in Christy McClellan's study right now, which we studied also in Jesus and Women, was the, the actual scripture, the word of God, is food. And Ooh, she yes. says it's a feast yes. when you read the word of God. It yes. feeds us. And to say that in this context makes it even more beautiful. That table that we were given from God, his word, that we can eat and feed and fellowship. And that beautiful communion then becomes even larger and more beautiful because we're all given the same scripture oh, I love it. to live by. Yes. And what a beautiful table fellowship that becomes even greater with that gift that oh, we've been it. given. And not only that, but going back to the woman, the sinful woman in Luke 7, where he, she comes in and the Pharisees are there. They've invited Jesus. Yep, at Simon's table. And they're yes. saying, you know, these things about her. Well, in Jesus' culture, it's not a right and wrong. It's a shame and honor culture. So not only did he um, bring honor to that woman and tell them, you didn't kiss me when I came in. You didn't anoint my feet with oil. You yep. didn't do these things. But he never condemned them. But he set, he set things right side up, yes. not upside oh, down. Love it. He brought things and set it right side up. Jesus is all about that. Yes. And what a beautiful um, representation to not just speak about table fellowship in eating, but, but really the gift we've been given to live by, yes. which is the word of God. Ah, oh, so beautiful. I mean, it is it is amazing to me. So beautiful. Thank you, Kimberly. Yeah. And, and again, this is just a great reminder. If you want a beautiful study to do, just look at every table experience of the book of Luke. And this is another good example in Luke 7 where Jesus does this turn upside down, as you said, but it's also a table that demonstrates the heart of Jesus. All the things that Kimberly mentioned there, by the way, that Jesus says, you didn't kiss me, you give me a kiss, you didn't wash my feet, um, those were all uh, roles that the one hosting the meal would make sure was done for their guest. In other words, it was standard hospitality, right? So you can just import our own. If somebody comes to your house, greeting, welcome, here's a place, give you uh, some sweet tea, right? I mean, that's our, <laughs> that's our little ritual, right? Um, isn't it beautiful? Here's this woman that would not otherwise be welcome in Simon's house, and Jesus just said, she's a better host to me than you are. Isn't that awesome? So he levels the playing field at the table, right? One other thing to say, and we'll wrap up here. If you look closely, I'll just give two examples, again, from the book of Luke. We could do others. I'm just living in the, the world of Luke's gospel. I'm having fun with David, David's line here. But um, Luke 5 and Luke 15 both tell you, have you ever thought about this? You know, one of the major reasons they killed Jesus is who he ate with. One of the major reasons they killed Jesus is who he ate with. Luke 15 is one example. Why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
Why are you eating with those people? Isn't it interesting? They killed Jesus, not just because of false doctrine they thought or whatever, because he would eat with anybody. And he would eat with people that the religious folks would scratch their head and sometimes throw verses at him and all that kind of stuff. And he ate with the hard-headed religious people, by the way. I think it's important to remind a grace church like us that we don't get to exclude the non-grace church people from our tables either. He ate with everybody, and they killed him for it. All the more reason to ask that question. What are my, what are my tables saying about me and what Jesus is doing? And maybe... Again, this is not a beat-up thing. Where is Jesus nudging us a little bit to let our tables look a little bit more like his, like the Eucharist that we participate in, and like the table will ultimately look like when it's all said and done? So I, I leave you with this. I encourage you to think about tables that might have shaped your life in some way, and that maybe inspires you to go and extend your table in that way to other people. There's any number of them. Maybe you've heard my wife talk about her grandmother's table uh, I've often talked about the table that sits in, in our house. One that just pops in my head as, as we finish up here, uh, <laughs> Melanie, you may laugh at this, but you know what I mean, I think. The uh, dining hall table at Virginia Tech University was a shaping table for me. What was it again? Uh, the Donaldson or something? I can't remember the dining hall. Um, there's a dining hall right outside of, of, of the dorm where, uh, where Dietrich. I spent. Dietrich, thank you. Good job. There you go. Um, why was that a shaping thing? Because uh, after running away from God for a little while, I came to a college ministry there, and, uh, and especially I remember on Wednesdays, we would go there and we would eat dinner before we went to church together. And we would eat dinner before we went to a class called Basic Discipleship. Uh, I've got some of my friends I'm looking at, and we love discipleship, and, and so that's where I kind of learned some of this stuff. And I remember we'd go to the table, and we'd laugh. And we just have fun. And it was crazy. It was fun. And it was goofy. And before we went, we would pull out these little index cards and we would practice our memory verses. Because <laughs> we, were, we were preparing for a class to, to be followers of Jesus and we did it together. It became fun and all that. We were shaped into the story of Jesus. We had fun and it was just an everyday table. And there was always room for one more. Big old dining hall. There was always room for another person at the table. And that, I, I often think about that as one of the most formative times of my life. What would it look like to say, we're going to Dietrich up our tables here? Or whatever. I encourage you to do that process yourself. And what a great conversation, by the way, to have with other people. We're not just talking about Netflix and, and whatever's on TV or whatever. Share with somebody else in your community this week. Here was a cool table for you. This is, a, this is a meal experience that was formative in some way, and that might take us a little deeper in our relationships. That makes sense? Father God, we are so incredibly grateful that there is always an empty chair and a welcoming hand pointing to that spot at your table for all of us. And we're so grateful that you were astoundingly transformative in the way that you ate with other people when you walked on this planet, the flesh. And that you are spiritually and dynamically and authentically present in this, uh, in this meal that we participate in each week in this spiritual community. And you are calling us forward to live into that time where we all get to sit at the banquet feast of the kingdom of God. Whatever that metaphor means, Father, we do want to live in increasing ways like that even now as your Holy Spirit moves among us. We love you, we worship you, and we celebrate you.
In the glorious name of the resurrected Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you all.